Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. And welcome to the World in Sport. I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week, Tonga win on home soil to keep their Rugby World Cup hopes alive. Tahiti dominate the inaugural Va'a World Distance Champs. And Fiji Netball backs young talent. But first, the Pacific Games Council says it will formally terminate the host agreement with Tonga for the 2019 Pacific Games after the deadline passed for the Tongan government to recommit its support. The Games Council's CEO, Andrew Minogue, says they'll now press on with the search for a new Games host. We're quite hopeful that we'll have at least one, uh, two, maybe three even, uh, expressions of interest from our members and uh, through our executive board. We're hoping to get to uh, a decision by the end of August, so this month for applications to be lodged and then next month for some visits, negotiations, assessments and, and a decision. You've already received a, a number of inquiries, so haven't you, from countries, from games associations that that are possibly interested? We have. We've had um, we've had most probably prominently Samoa, the prime minister, has been uh, very public in Apia about wanting to bring the games back after hosting it in 2007. We've had one or two other uh, federations make contact with us uh, before today. Uh, but their governments as yet haven't made uh, any declarations. So we're, now's the time that that can now start happening formally. So is there a number, like like three? or? I think three would be the maximum. Um, we've already had Fiji, uh, the most recent host, PNG. They've both said no. I think Fiji are concentrating on um, a potential bid for 2027, and the Minister for Sport announced that last week. So... PNG, the Minister Tachenko, very early on said that they wouldn't be bidding. Um, that sort of leaves us, if you're looking at our traditional hosts, Samoa I've talked about, and then you've got the, the two French uh, territories, Tahiti and New Caledonia, uh, haven't uh, made any comments uh, to date, and, and Guam is the other one. So out of that, we, we hope to have more than one. If it's one, then that's fine too, because we've got a home for the Games, but... Um, hopefully we'll have at least a couple. What we've come to now with Tonga, though, was no real surprise. You've you, you basically known for the last month this was going to be the case, right? When the President and I visited there first week of June and met the PM, we were hoping that that would open the door to a negotiation. That didn't happen. The point of leaving the door open until the end of June was to see if the political process in Tonga uh, might force a change in the government's thinking. And I think as you were, would have been following, there was a lot of uh, debate in both the general public but also in the parliament. Some resolutions were tabled and uh, a lot of debate was uh, taking place in the last couple of weeks in parliament and, and it ultimately culminated in some votes late last week, which were pretty close, I think 13 votes to 10 in favour of the government's decision. So we wanted to give the country a chance to have its say, even after the PM had sort of said to us he wouldn't change his mind. And I think the Tongan people and their parliament have had that chance now. 
they made their decision and, and now we, we move forward. The Games Council said when the government made their initial decision, if there was no change in stance, they would begin proceedings to seek damages through the court. Um, is that a process you now begin as well? Yes. Well, we've engaged the solicitor in, in Tonga. Uh, we did that after we met with the Prime Minister four weeks ago. We uh, we spoke to a local solicitor there and engaged him and uh, we'll, we'll be taking that process forward now. That's an important statement for us to make. Uh, we had a contract, a binding contract. The government unilaterally walked away from it without any consultation. Um, that's not behaviour that we think should be ignored or rewarded in any way. And so, uh, yeah, we will be, we'll be seeking, um, seeking legal redress for that. It's less about the money per se and more about the principle. Oh, absolutely. Um, we're not a money-hungry organisation. We, we've, we're a very lean outfit. We've, we've never had a lot of resources, and I don't think we'll ever have a lot of resources in the future. So it's not about money. It's, a, it's about the principle of, of walking away from a contract. And, um, you know, we all put five years, almost five years of work into planning for the Games in 2019 to be in, in Tonga. And uh, we were contractually bound with the government and with Tarsanok to do that. And um, I think it's a very important statement of principle to you just can't walk away from those agreements unilaterally. Has this whole process influenced or affected the outlook of the Games Council in terms of what sort of a country you award the Games to? There's no doubt that uh, when we meet this year at our AGM in, in Port Vila, uh, during the mini games, there'll be time for a discussion on on these sort of issues. I think one of the very sad things about what's happened in Tonga is that the South Pacific Games started in 1963 in Fiji, and up until now, it's the same six countries out of our 22 members that have, that have held every single edition of the games. And I think a lot of, of our members, and that's the reason they voted so emphatically for Tonga to host the games when they won the bid, was to bring the event to more countries. And we've been convinced and still are convinced that Tonga were capable of doing it. So it is going to, I think, put some pressure on all of us to have a bit of a rethink as to you know, how we go about awarding the Games, which sort of countries are capable of hosting them, which aren't. Uh, but there's no doubt that it, it's a sad situation for, for all of those countries, not just Tonga, that had aspirations for doing a Pacific Games that puts more pressure on them uh, into the future so that we don't have a repeat of what's happened here. Although I think whatever the government might say about its financial situation in Tonga, I think some personalities and some political issues, I think, have been as influential as anything in terms of the final decision. That's the Pacific Games Council CEO, Andrew Minogue. Tonga rugby coach Toto Kefu says home crowd support inspired them to victory against Samoa at the weekend, keeping alive their hopes of automatic Rugby World Cup qualification. The Ikaletahi survived a final Samoan attack on their line to triumph 30 points to 26 in Nuku'alofa in front of 10,000 fervent supporters in the first test match played at Te Stadium for eight years. We showed a bit of character there in the end uh, when the game drew out of it and, and also we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves by not exiting clinically enough and still there was some evidence of some just some simple turnovers um, but uh, we got the result. That scoreline is what matters so even if you had things that you clearly want to see improvement on, uh, finding that way to win in difficult circumstances is, is pretty important. At the end of the day it's the result that matters. You know, those are things that we need to work on, but um, the boys are relieved and, and very happy to, 
to get that out of the way. But um, obviously next week, I think, provides us with a different sort of challenge. What pleased you most against Samoa, and, and where do you feel the team needs to shape up? We still have um, lapses of game management. We, we struggled uh, to take simple choices and, and, and execute simple decisions. As I mentioned, we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves by just not exiting clinically. But um, there are things we can fix. Um, and, and I think the problem that we have is, is just having the time together. The more time we have together is probably the best way we can fix those, those issues. Did you see a market improvement from the game against Wales a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, definitely. There was a few things we were working on in the last couple of weeks and one of those things um, was just getting a, a better defensive shape um, when it starts to get a little bit messy, um, when there's a lot of um, turnover ball. So um, we, we improved in that part. I thought our set piece also took a couple of steps forward. So um, even some individual performances, I thought, were majority of them were on the improve as well. Sototane Takalua was one of your best players against Wales a couple of weeks ago and uh, pretty influential again. He's been a standout for us, um, not only for this campaign, but in November as well. He's, um, it's been a problem uh, position, I think, halfback for Tonga in the past. Um, now that we have a quality quality halfback, it just helps a lot. You know, I think, I, I think halfback's the most important position on the field. The obvious um, you know, build-up to the game was around Tifaeva and eight years since your last home test match. Uh, what was that like being in the stands and, and having the team run out in front of 10,000 uh, you know, passionate Tongans who haven't seen their team play in, in eight years? It was fantastic. I, I, I've played on Tifaeva before in front of a packed crowd and I think there's only two other players. Nili Latu and uh, David Halafanua. So it was hard to try and explain to them the type of atmosphere and and the craziness that happens uh, in the crowd leading up to the game. So um, we, we we just basically told them that expect the unexpected. And but at the end of the day, public are really engaged with this team and they love this team. So you're going to get the best support ever in front of a home crowd, and and, and it showed on Saturday. And they probably got us over the line in the end. So um, the boys spoke about it after the game, how how special experience it was, and and how important it was for them to um, to experience that. Now you've got an even tougher task, arguably against Fiji next week, a team in very good form, beating Italy, beating Scotland. Um, they had a match against Australia a few weeks back, uh, and of course, you know the top of the PNC standings after those two wins last year. So uh, whoever wins that game is guaranteed to go to the World Cup. It's actually worked out well. We, we had two games leading up to our hardest game. It, it was kind of like the scenario we had in November. I, I think the position we're in is good for the team. We're, we're a uh, underdog, um, and I think that's when we perform the best. So the boys are absolutely be looking forward to this game, and um, I think we'll probably have our best performance, especially seeing how, how well Fiji have gone. Even with that win, you're still in third place on the PNC standings um, by virtue of points differential. I think it's minus 21 yes. for Tonga and, and six for Samoa. So you need points, um, you know, regardless to at least get into that top two. And, you know, depending on what happens, there's still that chance that you could go higher. But um, so it's all on. Uh, I, I guess you felt that same pressure this week, but a, a performance is required. It's a grand final for us. So the boys would definitely be looking for it. But I think if we secured a automatic selection into the Rugby World Cup, definitely that first position, 
gets us into a better pool. So we definitely want to win and, and, and win well. But I think looking at it, the team that doesn't qualify goes through to the playoffs. So, and if they if they secure a win there, I think it's a home and away series. I think it could be Russia. I'm not too sure. That gets you into a pretty good pool as well, Vinny. So um, it could be a win-win either way. That's the Tonga rugby coach, Totoi Kefu. Tahiti have dominated the inaugural Va'a World Distance Championships. The hosts topped the medal table with 10 gold, 1 silver and 2 bronze after 4 days of competition. New Zealand and Australia finished well adrift with 3 and 2 gold medal crews respectively. Lynette Tyrrell was the manager for New Zealand's victorious V6 Masters women. They don't actually all paddle together on a regular basis. So this is the elite crew, and um, they're from various parts of the country. They only came together probably about four times since March, maybe. But Tori is the coach, gave them a training program, so they just followed the program, and then once a month they come together as a squad and try to piggyback off you know, various events around the country as well. You know, because we also, um, particularly Tori as head coach for our local club in Puriroa, had coaching commitments, so we tried to work it in a camp piggybacked off the events that we were already going to as well, and, and some of the paddlers were already going to. What were the expectations going into this event? Obviously, as you say, your first ever world long distance championships are in Tahiti, what is it, 33 countries and territories and five continents, so uh, you know, a huge gathering of uh, people for this event. Uh, did, you, did you think you could do well, or you had no idea? New Zealand um, can hold its own um, and, you know, from the World Sprints last year when we attended in the, in the uh, Sunshine Coast, you know, New Zealand proved that it was, you know, it had world-class paddlers and it could compete very well and so going into this event, you know, we knew that we could perform well but we didn't, you know, it was, it's never going to be easy. You know, as the years have gone on, you, you, you have to work harder, like you have to train more, work harder to even be competitive and because of the level of the level that athletes um, aspire to today you know you have to actually put in more work to even be competitive on, on that stage but Aotearoa you know we've got awesome world class paddlers in, um, in this contingent and um, there's a few of us we were, we were pretty confident that some of our paddlers were going to be successful and some of them have you know, and there are also some paddlers who haven't been paddling for very long in this New Zealand contingent as well. It's really inspirational, really, because you can see um, for a lot of our young ones just coming into the sport, we've got some athletes in this contingent who have only been paddling for like two years, you know, and already they're representing their country. So, you know, it's exciting. Do you think it's just the nature of countries in this part of the world with so much water around and interest in that sort of sports? Is, is that where that passion sort of comes for, for competing in these sorts of events? They live and breathe it here, you know. Um, it's certainly, you know, one of the fastest growing sports in, uh, in, in Aotearoa. And we, we see it every year as there's always an increase in the number of paddlers that enter the national events. It's getting bigger and bigger all the time. This is my first time in Tahiti, and it's everywhere, you know. Everyone has their own V1. They're just out on the water, this is their playground. And um, certainly, you know, our Pacific countries, it's what their ancestors are. You know, it's, it's familiar, it's, it's who they are, and um, I, I think that that's probably why a lot of these countries are successful, you know, Aotearoa included. But in saying that, you know, Australia are very strong 
in some of the South American countries, you know, they're just getting better and better. And I just think, you know, we've always got to, when Toddy said it, you know, you've always got to stay one, two steps ahead because, you know, countries are just getting stronger, paddlers are getting stronger, they're getting better and better, and you've just got to just keep evolving and changing. And it's exciting because there's some amazing talent coming through. You know, we've got 14, 14-year-olds competing at this event, 14-year-olds doing 27K, you know, in the heat and big waters. I mean, you know, when I was 14, gosh, I don't think, I don't even think about doing something like this. So, you know, it's, it's exciting. That's Lynette Tyrrell, a part of the New Zealand team at the Va'a World Distance Championships. Ages but an umber for Fiji going into the Netball World Youth Cup in Botswana. The baby pearls haven't played since winning the Oceania qualifying tournament in September, but coach Vicky Wilson says the team is full of talent, even if they're a bit raw. We've got three secondary school students in the side. They're only 15 years of age, so a very young, inexperienced team. We've got one girl, our captain, Ebisaka Kaha, who's played at World Cups. So uh, our experience is you know, very limited, but the, I've just caught up with all the kids today and they're just so excited and it's a great challenge for them to step out on that international stage. What are your key goals or, or what you want the team to achieve uh, at this World Tournament? First and foremost, it's those round games and... I think we've drawn quite a good pool. We've avoided New Zealand, Australia uh, and Jamaica and South Africa. So we've only got England to deal with and Trinidad. So I'm I'm very happy with our pool. First game is going to be tough, though, because playing in under-21s, they're relatively unsighted. So we're up against Trinidad. So we won't know what we're up against until the warm-up or maybe maybe the opening ceremony. I'll be sizing up a few of their players and trying to work out who their shooter and who their keeper is. But... um, we can survive the rounds. Ideally, it'd be great if we could, you know, finish in in a top two position. But that means we have to take the scalp of, of Trinidad, and uh, or maybe England. But you know, maybe that's a bit too tough. But Trinidad certainly. There was an Oceania youth tournament at the end of last year in New Zealand. Um, what what sort of match play or, or time together has the squad had since then? Yeah, it's been uh, quite spasmodic. I've tried to uh, do a lot of work in the school holidays. So at, at Christmas time, you know, if you were to hold a, a training camp, you know, either in Australia or New Zealand, I'm sure you wouldn't get too many kids rocking on in after two weeks. But they still kept coming back every day and they really enjoyed it. And also in January before the series, we did a training camp and we've managed to have um, another couple of weeks together. So they still went to school or they went to uni, but we we trained at night. So that was that was terrific to be able to you know have those consecutive training sessions. And obviously you're in charge of the Pearls as well. So um, being with the 21s for this tournament and through this campaign, does that help you with the national team as well? I guess creating some sort of synergy or sort of a transition between the two teams? No, I think it's been terrific. And in fact, when I first took on the, the Pearls, I didn't know I had the 21s. But it's been, been a bonus because uh, we're in the, the midst of, of change and uh, I'm sure a couple of these 21s will step on up to the Pearls. And, you know, for the Pearls, haven't played a test match in, in two years. So we only just had the international calendar confirmed about three weeks ago. So now the girls are coming back into training and we've got to pick a, a squad uh, at the end of August. So once we do that, then we can start, you know, building towards Com Games. It's a late start, but uh, it was that's just the way it rolls, rolls in Fiji. 
Well, I guess for the under-21 team, then knowing that that calendar is uh, on the horizon, uh, is all the more motivation for them to do well uh, over in Botswana. Well, true, and you know we've named uh, a few of them as training partners, and they're as I said, the first step is Botswana for them, and once they get a taste of that international competition, I'm, I'm sure they'll just throw themselves into their training more. So uh, uh, they're very competitive and. They love playing, and once you've got that, I think um, that next step to you know becoming an elite athlete is you're taking the step in the right direction. Your Pacific neighbours, Cook Islands and Samoa, have got squads from far-flung places, Australia, New Zealand, local players as well. Uh, have you got any offshore players, or are they all based in Fiji? Uh, we've got 11 out of the 12 based in Fiji. We've got one player from Brisbane. Uh, his father's Fijian. He's represented Fiji at the Olympics in swimming. So Annabella Sorby, a very talented defense, defender. So she'll bolster our defensive then without a doubt. So uh, we're very fortunate that we've got so many talented players sitting in the, in the Fiji system. That's the Fiji under-21 netball coach, Vicky Wilson. And that's the World in Sport for this week. I'm Vinnie Wiley. As always, thank you very much for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.